This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to episode 75 of the Animaniacast. At last, Pinky. After a year of watching and waiting, it is time to put my plan into action. You mean we're finally going to learn to harmonize, get a choreographer, and move to Detroit? And welcome once again to the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast out there that's dedicated to the animated television series, Animaniacs. And here we explore the series episode by episode, exploring all the cultural references and gags that we can find. And in the end, we give each episode a Water Tower rating. I am Joey, and joining me once again is my brother Nathan. Hurrah! Um, and across the country in Georgia, it's Kelly. I loved Ready Player One. <laughs> yes, you did. So did I. I loved Ready Player. I want to see it again. I've only seen it once. I've seen it twice. You've seen it twice. And Nathan, you've seen it once as well, right? Once. Yes. So we all seen Ready Player One. And everybody out there, you should see Ready Player One as well. Is, I think, our consensus. Right, Nathan? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a whole rap about it, but I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, darn. Yeah, the, the things that we miss because of audio technical difficulties kind of thing like that. That was a really great rap, too. I know. Well, it's lost to the time. Mm. Well, maybe, you know, it might be a little muffled, but maybe uh, I can uh, um, extract some of it, perhaps, for post, yeah, it's post credits. It's not worth it. It's it got way out of line <laughs> or whatever. It got I kind of lost track of the beat and everything, and <laughs> it, uh, all, full of spoilers. So <laughs> that's true. The rap was very spoiler tastic. So I guess maybe it's a good thing that we didn't include it because we would have gotten maybe some angry tweets or something from people saying, "Hey, that's not good." Um, but now yeah, that, they should like have already seen the movie old. by now. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not our fault. We're, we're now we're now two weeks after right Bloody player one so it's it's not our fault or anything you should have gone and seen it already so <laughs> ha uh <laughs> but go see it i saw it on a huge screen i saw it on the xd screen which i've never we went, went to our new uh theater with uh multiple little buttons for reclining on each theater seat and saw it in the huge xd screen and they gave us free buttons and Ooh. a free poster with the iron giant on it and uh oh gosh uh what's the uh i want to say marzipan what's his <laughs> what's his name that good parzival parzival <laughs> parzival sitting on iron giant shoulders holding up his stereo and uh it's an awesome awesome poster and the buttons are pretty cool too so it, i don't know maybe those are still available in the theaters too i don't know but it's a great it's a fun time i think anybody who uh sees the movie will like it and one of the students in my class saw it too they they liked it a lot, and they're only twelve or thirteen, so it's for all ages. It's it's Spielberg magic up on the screen. Yes, 
It's very Spielbergian. <laughs> very Spielbergian. And Zemeckiusian as well. Is that <laughs> that's a word. <laughs> it just doesn't have the same ring. Not really. Not really. I know. Uh, well, anyway, anyway. Uh, so Ready Player One is awesome. And today we're going to be talking about, I would say, pretty awesome episode of Animaniacs. Uh, guys, tell me in a few words, uh, somewhere to ask you about episode 75 of Animaniacs. Uh, what would you tell them, uh, Nathan? It's like uh, American history. It's like going to American history class. If you like going to American history <laughs> I did. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I'm trying to style it. Uh, there you go. Well, I like. Maybe I didn't like going to it. Maybe I just like teaching it more than going to it. I don't know. But uh, Kelly, what about you? It was very colonial. It was colonial. It was colonial. It was. It was a very colonial based. I suppose it stayed in one time period. Um, Y'all made me remember my American history class in high school, and I had a teacher that ended up retiring or quitting somewhere like halfway through the year and um but when he was teaching he made us watch this musical of the revolution called 1776 Ooh, yeah and so we did that during his class and then um once he left they brought in a coach to teach the rest of the class so we ended up watching rudy multiple times <laughs> and um Hoosiers, and I can't remember what else. But long story short, I I didn't learn anything that year (laughs) at all. So it's like complete waste of my time as far as like education goes. But I'd work on homework for other classes because it was ridiculous. Yeah, 1776. I even saw that in um, my history class, and it was an AP history class. So apparently the uh, musical is so good that uh, even an AP history teacher (laughs) thought that it was good enough to show it was uh it stars the the principal from uh uh boy meets world and uh the voice of kit the car as john adams i believe if i'm not mistaken i forget the actor's name oh i didn't even remember that because i don't remember the music i just remember like wow someone made a musical of the american revolution and but i just don't remember much about it it's a fun musical i remember from the little parts i remember i just remember kind of liking it Good God, consider yourselves fortunate that you have John Adams to abuse, for no sane man would tolerate it! John Gilmore, we've heard this before, now for God's sake, John Gilmore! I say vote yes, no. vote yes, no. vote for independence, so open up a window! I say vote yes, vote for independence, Will someone shut that man up? Never! Never! Well, before we get into some of the music, speaking of music, I'm trying to really work on our transitions here. Uh, <laughs> before we get into some of the music Good job. in today's episode. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into some of the music of this episode, uh, Nathan, tell us, when did this episode first premiere? All right. Well, this uh, this episode first premiered on Veterans Day of 1995, which was, of course, Saturday, November 11th. <laughs> um, it was also one day after the release of Get Shorty. And it was the same week as Cher released her first album after four years called It's a Man's World. And Queen releases their final studio album, Made in Heaven. Yes, uh, I did. I've never seen the movie Get Shorty. I remember it was very, very popular. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, <laughs> never bought a Cher album or Queen album. So I have nothing to say much about those those things. Uh, well, you like veterans. So, I do like right? veterans. So, veterans are awesome. Uh, there you go. And uh, we we've had we've had a, a you know a couple veterans on the show as guests. We had John McCann on, and uh, of course Colin Wells. So mm-hmm. there's a little uh, plug for our veterans who have been on on the Animini cast. Yeah. So thank you, veterans. They they actually held this episode back uh, two or three weeks just so they can release it on Veterans Day. So uh, if you watch this on Hulu, it's you know three episodes later because they show those in the order that they were released and not the order that they are uh, categorized. I guess or however you want to say that. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird, weird order. It's it's so weird now that with Netflix how they kind of ordered some of the Animaniacs episodes and now Hulu is a whole other mess of stuff, aren't isn't it? It's it's mm-hmm. it's crazy. I need to get my Hulu subscription. I've been watching these on DVD, um, but I really want to, you know, watch some Tiny Toons and and Pinky and the Brain as well. So uh, I got to get my Hulu subscription so I can check those out. They still need to get Freakazoid on there, but that's another issue. Yeah, entirely. that would be. Mm. My boyfriend has Hulu, so we just watch stuff over at his place. That's how I watch The Handmaid's Tale. So there you go. There's good stuff so on Hulu. There's a show you got to watch. Sponsor us, Hulu. He has YouTube <laughs> Red, so I'm excited because then I'll be able to watch Cobra Kai. Oh yeah, that looks like a that looks like it. Well, I've never seen it any looks- of the other series. I've never seen a Karate Kid movie, so it- maybe I should watch those first. What is- it was filming like down the street from my house last week. It was amazing. I, I drove by and I saw the production signs for CK and I Googled it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Cobra Kai. And I knew it had filmed in the Atlanta area. So they were doing, I guess, some reshoots, but literally around the corner from my house, and which is so funny because when I was a little girl, I used to dream about Ralph Macchio coming to my house and <laughs> meeting him. And I'm like, wow, he's he's probably just down the street. Oh. That's totally off topic, yeah, but totally. you know, you it's can take it out. <laughs> no, I'm keeping it all in or not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, well, let's go ahead and get into our discussion of today's We're episode. Way off, like, Why are we here? What's going on? I know we're everything, exactly we everything to not talk about. It. Exactly, we already, you know, for the audience, you Been know, who, done that. yeah, who, for the audience who didn't know, maybe because Nathan and I did record kind of a little quick makeup episode, uh, not uh. about not about makeup. <laughs> But it was about uh, comics. No, I think Nathan, it came out well. We did a, uh, we oh, did okay. a whole issue. We did a whole uh, uh, discussion about Animaniacs issue number five uh, because, uh, yeah, we had a huge meltdown here at the Animaniacast studio. And none of the audio came out correct. So, yeah, we, we talked about this last week. But uh, we're doing it all over again. So please forgive us if we're talking about things that have nothing to do with the episode. <laughs> well, let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. So today's episode features the segments The President's Song, Don't Tread on Us, and The Flame Returns. Let's go ahead and, uh, oh, and by the way, it also featured the classic theme song once again, where they show Meet Pinky and the Brain Who Want to Rule the Universe, which hasn't been seen since episode 69 of the series, because, uh, well, Pinky and the Brain by this time had had their own spin-off series, so you didn't really need to feature them in Animaniacs anymore. Unless, of course, it fits mm-hmm. with the theme like today. So it was nice to see the original uh, theme song back briefly, you know. Uh, 
Well, the, the, it still changed because they had the uh, pay tons of income tax. That's true. So but it's modified version number. It's a new. It's a four. It's a five. fifth version or something. Yeah, or... Exactly. <laughs> and the and the uh, little uh, stinger or whatever you want to call it variable verse for this uh, week was here's the flamey. So we got to see that as well. So you know, it's it's new every week this time. Really, basically. Well, anyway, let's get to the first segment, which is actually a song. It's one that many people know. It's the President's Song. This is Randy Rogel, and you are listening to the Animaniac Cast. And the President's Song was written by Randy Rogel and directed by Al Zegler. Hmm, Randy Rogel, we should get him on the show one of these days. Hmm. Uh, That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, we'll see what we can do. Make some phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Get on the phone. Let's call Steven Spielberg. <laughs> that should be priority one. And then Randy. <laughs> and then Randy Rogel. <laughs> well, anyway. So uh, the president's song uh, is, well, it's the William Tell Overture. And it's, uh, well, they, they talk about all the presidents, starting with George Washington and then stopping at Bill Clinton. And it's a very catchy tune. It helped me memorize the presidency of the United States. And uh, it's done in kind of a Monty Python-esque animation style, which I think looks really cool. Let's see. It, it, has, it has some vari- variables from, uh, or variants from the CD to the television show. Uh, in the CD on Variety Pack, I believe it was the CD it was featured on, it says things like... Uh, Tom Jefferson stayed up to write the Constitution late at night, so he and his wife had a great big fight, and she made him sleep on the couch all night. And, of course, in the version that's the televised version, they corrected it to say, Tom Jefferson stayed up to write the Declaration late at night, so he and his wife had a great big fight, and she made him sleep on the couch all night. And also in the CD version, it says, John F. Kennedy, he gets shot, so Lyndon Johnson takes his spot. That is not what they say in this version. Uh, they say... John Kennedy had Camelot, then Lyndon Johnson took his spot. Although I wonder how, how long that took for them to to switch that verse right there from he gets shot to had Camelot. Because Yakko and Wacko and that little, you know, shot right there, or, or whoever it is, whatever Warner siblings it, it was, looked very sad. Yeah, I think it's Yakko and Wacko. Yeah, Yakko and Wacko. They look very sad. I think they're even kind of, they're kind of doing a salute like a... Uh, JFK Jr. was doing uh, at uh, JFK's funeral procession, if I'm not mistaken. Um, anyway, the the biggest change that I could see, though, is is really at the end of the song, where they say on the CD. Now in Washington, D.C., that's Democrats and the GOP. But the one in charge is plain to see. It's Clinton first name Hillary. Uh, which, of course, got changed in the television version to now in washington dc that's democrats and the gop but the ones in charge are plain to see the clintons bill and hillary and uh i i i missed that cd version when i was a kid watching this because i just thought it was a nice um kind of jab at politics a little bit right there um a lot of people around this time really thought that hillary clinton as first lady was was running a lot of the show uh, as opposed to Bill Clinton. Um, and well, yeah, I mean, he was too busy like with interns and stuff. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, it's got a lot on his plate. Somebody <laughs> had to take over. Well, it was a very different. I mean, Hillary was a very different uh, first lady because I mean, she was doing the whole "it takes a village" thing, and uh, she was much more outspoken. I think, as uh, you know, compared to some first ladies that we may have seen. I mean, Nancy Reagan had her just say no campaign, so that was that was something. But if you look at like folks like uh, Laura Bush or Melania Trump today, they're uh, they're not. Uh, I mean, I can't really think of a thing that they really uh, stood up for and, you know, were out and about about. Hillary Clinton was was almost like another cabinet member in a way, at the very least, I think, in Bill Clinton's uh, White House. But anyway, I, I just thought I was like, oh, darn, I wanted to show that, you know, Hillary was the really leading the, the charge. But whatever. It's- well, it's, it's like they could see into the future. I mean, because she's. One that, and well, I mean, she's the only first lady to, I guess, ever have political aspirations of her own. Yeah, I know. And just think about it: we, if if uh, things had gone differently, that whole CD version of the song could have actually been true. You know what I mean? That would weird. It wouldn't. Wouldn't oh. that have been weird? Like if if uh, you, they could have just added a few presidents in the in the middle, right there, like put in Bill and George Bush again, and. And Obama, and then end with its Clinton first name Hillary at the very end again. That would have been like ah, perfect. I know that some people have asked um, when I went to go see Animaniacs live. There's like a little kid who raised their hand and asked Randy Rogel, um, "Why didn't you? Why you know? Why didn't you sing the president song? Why didn't you update that or something to that you know thing?" And it kind of got a little bit of a groan <laughs> for just how divisive Trump can be, but. I don't know if they would really, if Randy would really want to rewrite the president's song right now. He might want to wait till we get a different president to be the end of the song. Because Randy Rogel's not the biggest fan of uh, President Trump. He uh, he actually wrote a song entitled, uh, I think it's called I'm Trump. And it's to the sung to the tune of uh, Dots, I'm Cute. And... It's on his YouTube page, and we'll put it up on the show notes. I love this whole democracy thing. How everyone votes, and then after that, I become king. Bada bing, the celeb that's in charge. Living large, I'm big, and I'm huge, and I'm taking up space. My name in gold letters all over the place. And up on Mount Rushmore, every face that you see is going to be me. Trump, Trump, it's going to be Trump, Trump, Trump. Well, anyway, guys, that's what uh, we got right there for the president's song. I don't know. What do you guys think? Kelly, what were some of the things that you really liked about this song? Oh, I just, I just love the whole song. I I would play it a lot on repeat when um, whenever I'm studying for the Jeopardy online test. And it's always helped me remember certain facts about some of the lesser known presidents. And uh, certainly helps to have a, a visual when you watch uh, the song or the, or the animation as well and uh, and like you I like the style of, of the animation it's just it's cute and fun and catchy and educational yeah it's one of the things that Animaniacs did really well uh, Nathan what about you uh, I also like how educational it is uh, just and very funny lots of uh, making fun of the presidents for like James Monroe's big nose or something it's just it's funny um, <laughs> you learn about William Henry Harrison dying in 30 days. Sunny. <laughs> and there's and there's uh, 
uh, whole thing of talking about the, I, th- I believe it was the Electoral College with Rutherford B. Hayes winning by just one vote. I mean, there's there's so mm. much history and a lot of things that you could just look a little deeper into to kind of say, like, what were they singing about right there? Because there's a lot of things that are just sung about. You go, okay, what, what was that about? Like the whole uh, election thing with the Electoral College is kind of like left up there. And as a kid, I was going wait, why is it just a few votes? I don't get it. Like, I didn't know what mm-hmm. the Electoral College was versus the popular vote. But uh, it kind of leads the audience to check it out for themselves. Um, one other thing real quick that I learned was I learned that uh, Ulysses S. Grant's middle name was Simpson. Simpson, eh? But um, <laughs> Just a lot of fun. No- nothing bad to say about this song, I think. Let's go ahead and move on to the next segment. Uh the next segment is entitled, Don't Tread on Us. This is Maurice LaMarche, the voice of the brain, and you are listening to the Animaniacast. And Don't Tread on Us was written by Gordon Bresak and Charles M. Howell IV, and it was directed by Al Zegler. And Nathan, tell us uh, what happens here in Don't Tread on Us. All right. Well, Pinky and the Brain have returned, and they have uh, come to America. It's 1775, and they just kind of don't do anything for a year. And then 1776 (laughs) comes around, and they're ready to change the Declaration of Independence into the Declaration of Obedience. So the plan is uh, Pinky's going to shoot an airplane, a paper airplane, and Brain's going to catch it in the air and switch out the the declarations, except... uh, Things go awry. The declaration ends up in Bill Franklin's Benjamin Franklin's uh, wig, and he takes it outside and flies it like a kite. While Brain falls into a bottle of ink that's used for quills and writing, and then they chase it outside. Uh, they're climbing up to get it. They get struck by lightning. Then they fall next to the Liberty Bell. Jefferson rings it because they've signed the Declaration of Independence, and then they are deaf. They can't hear anything. They decide to go to Fran- French. Uh, to help them because they are revolting and uh, then we get a nice uh, French sounding end of the theme song and Finn. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. It felt like I was fast forwarding (laughs) through the episode, Nathan. Very good. (laughs) Um, Nathan's watched this episode uh, many times now, so he he knows exactly what happens plot wise. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool episode uh, or, or cartoon of Piggy the Brain. Nice to have them back. And, of course, uh, Charles uh, M. Howell uh, was just on the show recently, and he talked specifically about this episode at one point, uh, thanks to a question you asked, Nathan. Um, mm-hmm. re- remind me, what, what did uh, Charles say exactly about this? So there's a, there's a scene at the very beginning when Pinky and the Brain just arrive on the boat and they say, look, it's, uh, uh, look, Pinky, the land of the free. And then it pans over and there's a black person in chains and a Native American and the black person says, I'm not buying it. And the Native American says, I have my reservations or something like that. So yeah. But that, of course, that joke was, was pulled by Tom Ruger who said, <laughs> you know, you can't have that because a mom will walk in and the sensitive person will, We'll take it the wrong way. And so, yeah, they had to pull that joke. <gasps> Look, Vane, an Indian uprising. Those aren't real Indians, Pinky. The colonists are revolting. Oh, I don't know, Vane. I think those costumes are rather fetching in a neo-primitive sort of way. I'm going to have to hurt you in a neo-primitive sort of way, Pinky. 
Well, uh, there's a there's a few uh, references in here to to stuff. I mean, there, Elmer Fudd comes in at one point. He's looking for adventure, right? He has a laugh. Doesn't really sound like Elmer Fudd that much, but he's in it. <laughs> I'm hunting wet coats. <laughs> and uh, you know, when it comes to references to other stuff, there's not too much. I mean. We talked about this uh, when we originally recorded the episode, and it might have been because I had just seen Ready Player One uh, the night before, but I kept getting flashes of Back to the Future while watching this episode. And when uh, the brain is trying to switch the uh, Declaration of Independence for Declaration of Obedience, he's crawling on top of the, the doorway, which has a little bit of a... It looks like the clock tower in Hill Valley to me, and... He's even swinging across like Doc Brown would be swinging down on the electric wire. And, you know, there's lightning outside. I mean, and there's, <laughs> and there's a, it really felt like almost like either he's crawling across like Doc Brown or maybe he's crawling across the, the top like Marty McFly was doing and looking down at the people behind, underneath him like in Back to the Future 2. Uh, because it's also showing the Declaration of Independence that we've seen signed in a previous episode with the flame. And you even see the flame make a quick cameo in this. So it really mm-hmm. felt like Back to the Future to me. And I'm sure that it probably had no connection, no, <laughs> no uh, connection that was intentional, but I certainly, I certainly felt the connection there. I don't know about you guys. I, I saw it because I remember what you said last, last time we recorded and so when I was watching the episode again today, I, I could see what you were referring to. Oh, good. Okay. So uh, maybe I'm not incredibly crazy, but just a little bit crazy. Okay. Just a little. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, guys. What do you think are some uh, of the funny moments in this? Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. Uh, I just want to say that I think Brain is clearly not a genius in this episode. Because like everything that goes wrong is his fault. After watching this again, he he's like, "Oh, I painstakingly measured the uh, trajectory of this airplane, and it it's way off. It's not even close to where it's supposed to go. It goes on the complete opposite side of the room. And meanwhile, he didn't even do his swing correctly. He you know hits the ink thing, and this is after a year of planning. <laughs> uh, I don't know what they were doing. You know, it's not. It's like." 10 minutes before and Pinky's like, Oh, wouldn't it be great if you were, uh, had a thing. He's like, that gives me a great idea. And it's like, that's literally the idea. Like Pinky thought of the idea there and you're taking credit for it. That That's it. I just wanted to rant about that. Clearly not a genius in this episode. So. All right. Uh, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the brain's fault though. Right. I mean, he, he, I mean, Pinky didn't Pinky like kind of get, hit with the paper airplane like as it was going through so didn't pinky kind of mess up I the mean, trajectory it, it's it's hard to say it seems like it went out just like it was supposed to and maybe if that's the case maybe pinky purposely did it because he's such a genius sure <laughs> <laughs> and like clearly they're working on this other kind of thing where they're going to go to uh, uh chicago or something right and do a doop thing like detroit that's a planned thing they're going to Detroit. Yeah. They, well, I think they're a little early for Motown, but yeah, they were thinking, or, or, or wherever. The, wait, wait, Motown isn't in Detroit, is it? I guess it, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> Motor City, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, anyway, I, I think they're a little too early for that stuff, but uh, that was kind of a cute little side gag. There were a lot of cute side gags in this one. Yeah. 
But like, and they were they they had practice. It seemed because they were singing in harmony. So <laughs> they practiced on the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> well, well, one of my favorite, you know, speaking of like little gags was hurrah. I loved you know Pinky saying hurrah, well, <laughs> the brain saying it, and then Pinky repeating it. Um, but Pinky loved this plan. I mean, this was a you know he was all for it. I think uh, Kelly, what about you? I. I, well, I mean, I think you already mentioned the, the harmonizing part, so I thought that was really funny, and um, the the whole revolting thing, just the, that was the neo-primitive. <laughs> yes. Um, I just, the, even though I, I rewatched the episode, I, I still found that hysterical, and uh, ba- basically any any of the, the usual gags that, uh, you know, where Pinky kind of had this one-liner, and it just was extra funny in this particular episode. Come on, Pinky. We've got to head to Europe. I hear the French are revolting. Nov! Well, mostly they're just rude, Brian. Yeah, it was, it, you know, good good chemistry. I mean, it, it's no no wonder that, you know, Charles Howell and, and Gordon Bresek were, you know, some of the main writers of Pinky and the Brain, because they, they just, they know how to banter back and forth. It must help when you have two writers working with Pinky and the Brain because you, you have that other writing partner right there to go back and forth in the writing process. Like Almost like one is taking on, you know, maybe not deliberately, but it's almost like one person takes on the Brain's role and one person takes on Pinky's role in the writing, perhaps. I don't know. We'll have to get them both on the show and, uh, and ask them about that one of these days. Anyway, um, well, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. Uh, the next one is called The Flame Returns. And The Flame Returns was written by uh, one of these Warner Brothers writers. Let's see. It's Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Wait, no. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the... Uh, the Midnight ne- uh, d- uh, Ride of Paul Revere, of course. Uh, <laughs> so he gets first credit on this Flame Returns. But this was adapted by Nicholas Hollander, and it was directed by Barry Caldwell and Adu Payden. And uh, Kelly, what happens here in uh, The Flame Returns? The Flame is watching as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow begins to write a poem. And it's called The Landlord's Tale, and the flames said, that's not a good title, but we'll figure something out later. So what's on the agenda tonight? Oh, a little writing, huh? Here we go again. Well, you can count on me, pal. I'll be your beacon in the night. So what do you call this opus you're working on? The Landlord's Tale. Uh, you might want to catch your title. Hmm. Uh, but we can work that out later. Hmm. Don't mind me. I'll just read over your shoulder. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Hmm, nice opening. The story starts to actually take life in in the animation. And Paul Revere is telling his friend that uh, he needs him to keep an eye out for the British and to let him know if they're arriving by land or sea. And he tells him to light a lantern in the old north north um ah what is it called the old north church yeah the clock tower tower. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i can't remember the exact way it's it's mentioned in the poem but 
tells him to light the, the uh, lanterns in the church tower and send him the signal. And he's waiting, like, you know, across the way with his horse, just ready to go. So the um, poem sort of illustrates how impatient Paul Revere is. He's just ready to get going and his friends keeping an eye out. And then suddenly the ships come into um, his sight against the moonlight and uh, they're getting closer and you can see the, the British flag on the ships. So he lights the lanterns that convey the message that they're coming by sea. So he lights the two lanterns and then the the second lantern happens to be the flame's twin brother who says he's the cute one, but he sounds a lot younger than the flame. And I thought that was kind of funny. And lo, as he looks on the Belfie's height, a glimmer, and then a gleam of light. That would be yours, truly. He springs to the saddle, the bridle he turns, but lingers and gazes till full in his sight, a second lamp in the Belfie burns. He's my twin brother. I'm the cute one. Yeah, right. And so so then uh, the poem follows Paul Revere as he rides all across the land. The British are coming. The British are coming. Keeps yelling it out. And uh, then the the next part of the poem illustrates, it, it kind of sums up the, the way the, the war went. And when I first saw the, the episode last week, I thought they were just sort of, skimming through the poem but then i actually went and looked at the poem and it, it's actually the whole thing from beginning to end um oh, wow. verbatim um is what they they illustrated you know the rest in the books you have read how the british regulars fired and fled how the farmers gave them ball for ball from behind each fence and farmyard wall Chasing the redcoats down the lane, then crossing the fields to emerge again, under the trees at the turn of the road, and only pausing to fire and load. So through the night rode Paul Revere, and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm. The British are coming! The British are coming! And the animation kind of changes then, so it, you know it's it's sort of a little different tone from from the rest of the the segment. And um, it's almost like a, a montage, I guess. And then he ends the poem. I don't remember how he ends it. Uh, let's see. He ends it by... Just... They figure out the good title. Oh, yeah. Well, That's yeah. Good. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess it kind of just goes from there to um, back to Longfellow at his writing desk. And then... He uh, decides to change the title to Paul Revere's Ride, which, you know, in hindsight, it seems like, well, duh, it's like, <laughs> should have come up with that title first. But because uh, I'm not sure where the landlord plays into all of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, the flame is pretty excited that poem's finished and he thinks it's great. And that's it. Perfect. Well, glad I could help brighten up your night. And remember, oh, if you ever need me again, just ring. It was very uh, impressive that Luke Ruger, uh, Tom Ruger's son, uh, who, of course, voices the flame, was able to read it so well. I mean, obviously, you know, the, you, you take multiple takes and everything like that. But, he, I mean, he read it better than 
most adults, I think, would ever hope to read this poem. It's not the easiest poem to read, but he read it really well. I could understand everything that was going on. And obviously the illustrations help out a lot with that as well. But I would think this would be a perfect cartoon to show an American history class uh, about Paul Revere and uh, and stuff. Um, oh, there is, of course, you know, a little mytholo- mythology going on with Paul Revere's ride because of this poem. I mean, he didn't yell, the British are coming, the British are coming, because, of course, everybody in that area would consider themselves British. So it would be the equivalent of somebody today uh, saying, the Americans are coming, uh, or, you know, to somebody <laughs> here. So it wouldn't quite make sense. So he, I believe they said the regulars are coming instead of the British. Nathan, what were some moments in this that kind of stood out for you that you liked? Well, I wanted to, well, it was, it was fun. I liked seeing all the cameos. There was so many cameos in the background. Got chicken boos, uh, got, uh, the Warners and Slappy and Skippy and Buttons and Rita and Runt. It's it's just like everyone. Ralph plays a really big part in it, which is really cool. Um, but it's just going back to like the, so the, the title of the poem was originally called, Paul Revere's ride. And then they change it to tales or uh, to a landlord's tale when they put it into a collection. Like it's a weird. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. Like, I thought it was called the landlord's no, tale. And then they changed it to Paul Revere's ride when it got put into the collection, but it was the other. It's the no, other it way. just, it's a better story. I think to say that way. <laughs> they gave it a worse title. <laughs> what? Later on. You, you mean that the cartoon wasn't historically accurate? It was not historically accurate, right? Shocking. The whole, the British are coming. They don't even say that in the poem. So that's a, I don't know where that comes from. It's not well, in Paul the, Revere's ride. Well, it's not, it's in the poem. It's not, maybe not in the historic thing, right? But he doesn't. No, it's said, not in. I, no, Kelly, you, you follow along, poem. right, Kelly? He says the British, or did he not say the British are coming in the poem? I don't know. Oh, I don't no, think, I, like, I, where I the heck did the we poem. get, where the heck did we get the British are coming? If he doesn't even say it in the I poem. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say it in the poem. It's part of the mythos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all the all the flames lines are accurate, you know. <laughs> and then they, they, you know, there'll be like a colon and then he'll, they'll just have Paul Revere yelling, the British are coming for, you know, cool effect, but not even in there. But and the- then that, you know, I want to, I talked about this last week, but the whole, well, I mean, you know, when we first recorded this, but the whole two, two it by sea, one it by land, I, I was saying it didn't make sense because he doesn't even say, like, the British are coming by sea. He's just saying the British are coming. So oh, they yeah. should at least be saying the British are coming by sea, the British are coming by sea. <laughs> Otherwise, the whole first part of the poem doesn't make sense. So I'm just, you know, yeah. I just want to point all this stuff out. Come on, You sound very emotional about this. Yeah, Henry, get a better draft of this poem, please. Come on. Yeah. Classic it was literature. The first draft. <laughs> <Let's try. laughs> well yeah there yeah there there are many many cameos i mean uh the one that was kind of questionable was chicken boo i mean chicken boo is listed at the end credits uh there is a rooster but i think we were t- saying that it was probably just a mispainted chicken boo um it, it, when you look at it closer it's kind of like okay that the size of that chicken was or that rooster was probably supposed to be chicken boo um so yeah um, we did ask, we mentioned the the younger flame right there. That's the cute one. And I had wondered, is that little flame voiced by Cody Ruger? Because, of course, Cody's the, the youngest brother who voiced the bluebird who's feature, featured in this uh, uh, 
cartoon, this poem as well, briefly with the girl feathers. Um, but I asked Tom Ruger if um, the flames little, you know, twin brother was voiced by someone else. And he said, no, that Luke voiced both of them. And they just asked Luke to just talk like a younger kid. And he did. He sounded really well. And they didn't pitch his voice or anything. So it's just Luke Ruger's natural ability right there. Um, and, and on on Wikipedia, it has the wrong thing for that. I don't know if someone wants to fix Wikipedia. Oh, what does on it the say on Animaniacs Wikipedia? Wiki. It says Tress McNeil did the Flames twin brother. Wrong. <laughs> I have the text, Wikipedia editors. <laughs> I can prove it. Just put us down as a source. <laughs> Perfect. We need to be sourced on an Animaniacs wiki page. We can do it. We should be. Yeah. Oh, that'd be neat. I mean, if I had the time, I would do it myself, but I'm not. I don't want to do that. I have enough time. I have too much time editing this podcast to begin with to edit Wikipedia pages all day. So, so come on, audience. You can do it for us. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you know, there's, I mean, the one cameo that is a really blink and you miss it moment is at that montage at the end where they're just showing pictures which to me look very much like a, a Walt Disney kind of thing that you might see like in Wonderful World of Disney in the 60s or perhaps great moments with Mr. Lincoln like in Disneyland before Lincoln actually shows they would usually when I was a kid they'd show like these little drawings of the Civil War um, but it looked uh, very much the same like that if you look really closely I think it's in the first or second slide um, you can see Yakko, Wacko, and Dot actually uh, fighting in the war and actually shooting some British soldiers. So, And as far as I could tell, I mean, they were kind of small. I don't think they were using cartoonish guns or anything either. They were just, they were really shooting rifles in this, so they were taking it seriously. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's very well done. There were moments in this that really almost looked really uh, beautiful, really, to be honest. The animation was really good. Uh, there's, I, I don't know. I like certain shots, like when he's running along the, the cliff by the shore and it just, uh, it looked really cool. The lighting looked cool. And I don't know. I like this cartoon. I like the, the boats coming up in the moonlight across the water. Oh yeah. The huge boats and stuff. Very impressive stuff. Well, let's go ahead and get to this episode's water tower rating. Well, what do you guys think? Out of five water towers, how many water towers would you give today's episode? Uh, Kelly, let's start with you. I'll give it three and a half. Um, I really like the president's song, of course, and uh, I thought the other two segments were really strong. It's just, um, I don't know, American history is not my favorite thing in the world, <laughs> so it's not one of the most um memorable episodes but i thought the writing was was really good and pinky in the brain and i i did like the animation and um i thought it was all very educational okay and uh, nathan what about you i going to give it four water towers i just like that it has an overall theme to it and all these segments were pretty good so yeah i mean if they were better i would give it you know five because i love these like you know, it had Pinky in the Brain. It had a great song. It just none of them were like. I, I mean, the president's was by far the best part of the episode. I think. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and give it. Um, I'll give it three and a half. Uh, I now not change my mind. 
Four. I'm giving it four. And the, that extra point five just goes to the president's song be, just because of how much that has, uh, I've sung that song over and over in my life. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a four water tower rating. Uh, just good stuff. You know, teachers could show this in an American history period when they have, uh, nothing else to teach the kids that day. <laughs> <laughs> give it to the substitute. Mm-hmm. Give it to the substitute teacher. They can you can align it to uh, your standards pretty easily. So that's my little tip for teachers out there who teach American history: is show episode seventy five of Animaniacs, and you're be set. Okay. Well, before we move on to contact information and our Catherine Page rundown, which of course is are going to be the last time we do the Catherine Page rundown on. on the, no, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to that, let's go ahead and go to a pre-recorded segment of me, Joey, reading a few emails from the Rob Paulson is one of the nicest people on earth segments. Hey, you guys, it's Rob Paulson here. Um, I am so thrilled that we have the Animaniacast to continue to find a way to help me to get a freaking job. Thank you for listening. Bye. Okay, so it's time for the Rob Paulson emails for today. First one right here says, Hello, my name's Ella. I had the privilege of meeting Rob two times already, and both times I was freaking out. I mean, he's Rob Paulson. When I was a kid watching Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, Fair the Odd Parents, and Jimmy Neutron, he was there. When I was a tween watching Danny Phantom, Tough Puppy, Ben 10, and Back at the Barnyard, he was there. And now, as a teenager watching... Rick and Morty, The Mask Animated, The Tick, Tiny Toons, TMNT, and of course Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain, he's still there. I mean, I was meeting the voice of my childhood. I already listened to Talkin' Tunes and watched some things he did in conventions on YouTube, so I knew he was a nice guy. Heck, I idolize him. Could you, could I, how could I even try to talk to him? Well, both times I walked up to him, I was completely tongue-tied. And both times, my words could not express the positive effect he's had on my life. So, what did I do? I just went and hugged him. My brain, sadly not voiced by Maurice LaMarche, kept telling me not to do it, but I just did it. And what did Rob do to the 14-15-year-old weirdo who (laughs) who just went up and hugged him? He hugged me back. All he was, both times I met him, was trying to get me to smile. It was a very easy task. Whenever he gets into any voice of his, I start smiling like a doofus. My dad recorded the first time I met Rob, and whenever I feel down, I watch that recording. I instantly, and I mean instantly, start smiling again. All I'm trying to say is, thank you, Mr. Paulson. You're my hero. I'm sorry that quote you all. I'm sorry that I quote you all the time, and do really bad impressions of your characters, Ella Gans. So thank you very much, Ella, right there for that email. Let's go ahead and go on over here to a quick email that we got from. So I'm pulling it up right here, Linda. And Linda right here uh, sent us a picture as well of her and. Uh, her son, I should say, and Rob Paulson. And um, I'll just go ahead and read the email. Here's a photo of my son, Nick and Rob, from a few years ago after talking tunes at the John Lovitz Theater. We had met Rob once 
and the next time we saw him, he called out to Nick. I began to cry. I couldn't believe Rob would remember Nick. That is how our friendship with Rob began. And through Rob and his show, Nick has made Nick has met many voice actors. They are some of the, some of the best people on the planet who have helped his self-esteem and social skills. Nick is on the autism spectrum and Rob is part of the village who helped Nick move forward. We treasure Rob and what simply being Rob has done to uplift so many. And this is from Linda Zupan. And Linda, um, go, go ahead and went ahead and gave us permission to share this picture. And we're going to go ahead and do so on our Instagram page so you can check it out. It really is such a cute picture of Rob and her son, Nick. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And thank you very much, Linda, especially, uh, I believe it was autism awareness day just a few days ago. And I know Rob was doing a lot of, uh, tweets about that. So yes, uh, Rob is just a fantastic guy. Uh, let's see. Let's go to, ah, well, here's one. I got to read this one because it comes from a fellow Joey. (laughs) This comes from Joey. O. Joey says, Rob is indeed one of the nicest people you could possibly meet. Long story shortish, last fall he was appearing at a local pop culture convention, RetroCon, at the Philadelphia suburbs. An old friend of mine, Christy Spruill, who is probably sending in a reply to you as well, was his quote-unquote handler for the weekend and set up an interview with Rob for me. We all got to spend some time chatting before the last day of the con, Then he took time out away from his table, even as fans were starting to line up, because he promised me we'd fit in the interview. We had a great talk about TMNT, Animaniacs, and his special connection with his fans as well. And then he puts in a little shameless self-promotion to hear the entire interview here. So fantastic. I'll go ahead and put the link right there on our show notes over at Animaniacast.com. Anyway, he finishes up. He says, I've been a big fan of his for decades and was thrilled to spend part of an already great weekend talking with such a talented, genuine individual. And that again comes from Joey O, who you can find at whynotradio.net. Thank you, Joey. And since you brought up Christy, let's go ahead and read Christy's email to us right now. Christy says, It was 1993 and my best friend, Allie, and I were watching this fun new animated series called Animaniacs together on my living room floor. Yakko sounds like Raphael, Ali proclaimed. What? You're crazy, I snapped back. We were both huge Ninja Turtle fans, and the cool but rude Raphael had always been her favorite. Back then, the World Wide Web was still in its infancy, and there was no resource out there to actually prove her theory. But Animaniacs gave us a key. It was one of the few shows on at the time that listed the names of the actors and the characters they played in the episode. Most animated shows slapped a block of names on a screen in the credits that may or may not have been in that episode, but a voice but voice a character sometime during the season. We tapped I'm sorry. We taped an episode of Animaniacs and an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and fast forwarded to the credits and paused at the cast listing. We wrote down all the names down, and lo and behold, Rob Paulson's name appeared in both lists. In fact, there were a lot of names that overlapped both casts. It became a hobby, an obsession that we called voice chasing. 
taping each show on at the time, writing down the cast lists, and rewinding the show to listen for the voices we recognized in order to identify the actor that was playing which character. We started compiling stacks of credits, by show and by actor, and this obsession eventually morphed into what we now know today as Voice Chasers, and that's a website today. Uh, It's an online resource dedicated to celebrating these insanely talented actors that are known by very few but have impacted almost all of our lives in one way or another. So you could say that Rob Paulson is the reason that Voice Chasers was born and still exists now 20-something years later, but my admiration for him extends far beyond his work as an actor, as I have come to know him as a, know him as a person and a friend. Even early in his career, Rob Paulson has never missed an opportunity to give back, volunteering for organizations like Famous Phone Friends and playing with the celebrity all-star hockey team. His, philanthro- his philanthropic efforts continue to this day, championing fundraisers for organizations like Toys for Tots, Wounded Warriors, Operation Smile, and the Boot Campaign, just to name a few. And despite the enormous success he has had in his career, witnessing the way he interacts with his fans during conventions and other public experiences perhaps speaks most to his character and integrity. Without a shred of pretension or contempt, he treats each of his fans with the utmost respect and gratitude, ensuring they understand how much their stories and enthusiasm for his characters means to him. He recognizes how much the support of his fans has not only helped to further his career, but to enrich his life in ways not much else could. There are many things I am grateful to Rob Paulson for, but above all else, it's the example he has set for me to be a better human being overly grateful during the most trying times and overly generous during the times when we have so much. Christy, thank you so much, so, so much for that. And yeah, everybody check out Voice Chasers. Uh, They have their own website. They are on Twitter and I believe Facebook as well. And Christy's a great, you know, she's, I know she listens to the show. So Christy, if you're listening right now, thank you so much for that fantastic email. Well, Let's get back to me and Kelly and Nathan in the studio. And now that we're back from that guy, let's go ahead and go to Nathan's favorite segment, which I'm very sad this is the last time we're doing this. Um, Because this is what we like to call the Catherine Page rundown. Now, Catherine Page... Uh, was the assistant to Tom Ruger of Animaniacs. And they put in the first 69 episodes of Animaniacs, they did uh, little gag credits at the end of each episode that you can see. So we've gotten up to, what was it, episode 60. We went all the way through that, which was Snipe Hunter. And uh, Nathan is going to do a little audio magic right now. And now, we didn't do this last illustrate week. Illustrate to us so, what these things mean with just yeah, his voice. I don't know what any of these are. I want to preface that. We didn't record this section last week. We forgot. And now, so I don't know what these are. That's why it's going to be bad. But it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I like think that. It's, it's going to be fun, Nathan. You're, <laughs> we're going to have fun. We're going we're gonna to do this. <laughs> so whether you, like, whether you like this or not, we're going to do this. So here we go. Uh, start the clock. 
In episode 61, Catherine Page was equipped with an airbag. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was an <laughs> airbag blowing up. Very good. In episode 62, Catherine Page was solar powered. Yeah. In episode, very good. Uh, In episode sixty-three, we should make checks payable to Catherine Page. All right. Let me just. Okay. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, in episode 64, Catherine Page was a leggy supermodel. Ooh la la! Uh, whoa! Whoa! Oh, that was a driving person. I, I've got nothing. <laughs> Started an accident for being so leggy. Okay, yeah. in episode 65, Catherine Page was Catherine Page. Hello! <laughs> In episode 66, Catherine Page was shell-shocked. <laughs> Whenever I see the word shell-shocked, I think of the Ninja Turtles arcade game where they die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> shell-shocked. Uh, okay. Uh, in episode 67, Catherine Page was held for ransom. Oh, no. Ah, we got you. Ah, give us money. Okay. Oh, now you're free. Thank you. <laughs> All right. In episode 68, Catherine Page was a well of bitterness. I don't like this. No. <laughs> and in episode 69, Catherine Page was housebroken. Uh, look, Ma, I used the potty. (laughs) Yay, Nathan. You did it. You've gone through 69 different Catherine Pages. Congratulations. What would you like to say to the audience? Uh, I want to thank my dad, and I want to thank my cats. And I want to thank you, shall we? Oh, thank you. And Kelly. I'll thank you as well, Kelly. That's right. Kelly. Can you thank your wife, too? Um, she doesn't listen she to doesn't the show. Listen. Yeah, she doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to thank her. Okay. So. Oh, I want to thank James. Any Jameses out there, I'll thank them, too. Yay, James. <laughs> James, 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 James. Well, James, James. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and get to uh, the last few things, because after episode 69, there you know, they just kind of did gag credits uh, in general. So episode 70 uh, says, you have been watching the WB. It's a tough job, but someone had to do it, which is very true. The WB was very hard to get in its early days. Uh, <laughs> episode 71 said, why Waterworld bombed? No peppy songs with lots of lyrics. Uh, episode 72 said, be the first kid on your block to actually watch the WB. <laughs> again, <laughs> I go, we get Tom on again. We have to, you know, talk to him about the WB years and how, how that must have been frustrating or scary to be on the WB because the ratings had to have dipped considerably. And whether that was, uh, I don't know. That's just odd. Anyway, hmm. uh, 
Well, uh, episode 73 said, oh gosh, I don't even know what this, this, this is kind of gobbledygook. Uh, it says, Sir La et Sinaluap, Sir La et, oh, wait a minute. I think it's backwards. It's backwards, right? Okay, so here we go. It's <laughs> Yakko was the wa- wal- walrus. walrus. Oh, Yako was the walrus. Paul wasn't the walrus. So there you go. It, it was the Beatles episode. Yep. I oh, remember the Beatles moment. episode. That makes a lot of sense. So the walrus was not Paul, uh, despite what the song said. Uh, episode 74 says, this is episode 74. Stella! Very good. <laughs> and this is perhaps my favorite. If you'd like a transcript of today's program, start typing. <laughs> so... Uh, that was from today's. Yeah, right? that was from today's episode. So, uh, yeah, if we remember, we'll try to... <laughs> we, the, the main thing is, if we remember, we'll make sure to list off the... Uh, the gag credits as they appear for the remaining Animaniacs episodes. Or uh, we'll do it every 15 or something. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> just we'll just do it at the very end of the whole run and go, oh yeah, those things we forgot to talk about. Let's do that. Anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, get to our contact information. So, Kelly, where can people get in contact with you online? They can find me at Twitter at Yoda Princess, Y-O-D-A-P-R-N-C-S-S. Or email Kelly at BigShinyRobot.com. And Nathan, what about you? I am on Twitter. I am JangoFT. That's me. All right. And as for the Animaniacast, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. And, uh, hey, we we are on uh, a bunch of different podcast uh, listeners as well. You should subscribe to us on all of them why the heck not i mean you never know which one you'll want to listen to that day so you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify and um we're just got put on iheart radio which is very cool we're like so legit now you can listen to us and some of your favorite music on spotify and heart iheart radio um but just listen to podcasts that's more fun that's what i do these days anyway speaking of podcasts you know what you should do is you should head over to RetroZap.com because we are a proud member of the RetroZap.com family of podcasts and there are 21 different podcasts on RetroZap.com that you could be listening to. You can subscribe to every single one of those podcasts by simply going to your favorite podcast player of choice and subscribing to the RetroZap feed. And they'll get all delivered to your device completely for free. No Patreon dues or anything like that. It just, they just You just get them. Free stuff. Everyone loves free stuff. So anything in pop culture, RetroZap.com is the place to go. That'll do it, I guess. So for Nathan and Kelly, this is Joey saying good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacast unless otherwise indicated. Grey plane, my favourite. <laughs> Need sugar. One lump or two? <laughs> oh, I love that stupid joke.
Okay, I'm going to talk about Ready Player One. So, this is a story all about how my his life got flipped, turned upside down. He was just a guy who was playing a game, and then he found the first key. That key took him to another key, and that was in a shining spot, which was my favorite part. <laughs> uh, and then there was also another part. Because then they started just playing the game. And I thought, hey, this would be kind of lame if I was actually playing a VR thing. And I was just pretending like I was playing an arcade. And I was like, why am I just, just going to an arcade if I'm just going to be playing? <laughs> and I thought that was fun. And that was the end of the movie, I think. That was good, Nathan. That was, I don't know if that audio test worked. But boy, we're gonna, I'll have to put that post-credits right there for anybody who listened to it. So, Spoilers. Spoilers.